Hi, this is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to another edition of our deep dive into Cornell University's Johnson Graduate School of Management. Today, we're going to talk about something that's on a lot of people's minds, global education. A lot of business schools have uh, globalized a curriculum, and Cornell is no exception. And we have with us today, Andrew Coroli, who is the Deputy Dean of the Johnson College of Business, which is the umbrella uh, sort of college of, of the three different schools that make up the business offerings by Cornell. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much, John. It's great to be with you here talking about this really important topic. Yeah, and you joined Cornell 10 years ago with the explicit purpose of developing sort of a more global curriculum in the uh, MBA program, right? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Uh, I had been at another university for about 19 years. My research and teaching was all in the area of international, international capital markets. I'm a professor of finance. And what the Johnson School had come to the realization that was really important for them was to really push hard on globalizing their curriculum, globalizing their co-curricular activities, and for the greater good of their students. They had received considerable feedback from their advisory councils, from the students themselves, and of course from the faculty that we, they really needed to do something about this. And I and some other colleagues joined to really help push this thing forward. What approach did you take? Well, we we, uh, we talked a lot about, well, step number one was to figure out exactly what we're doing already as new people showing up and having some awareness of what we had done at my prior university and what other top schools were doing. It was important to do a sort of a, a size up. And what we actually had come to the realization is that the, the Johnson, uh, Johnson Graduate School of Management was doing quite a bit of stuff. It was just disparate, a little bit all over the place and not very cohesive and carefully thought through. And what we what we tried to do was try to organize it. So one of the things that the first things, literally one of the first things that we did was we we struck a working group and we actually crafted some white papers, a generic sort of white papers on the importance of, for example, developing international collaborative relationships with universities. Imagine trying to create a, a rubric whereby a top business school like uh, Cornell's MBA program thinks creatively about potential partners and relationships with other other universities, whether it's student exchanges, which a lot of schools do, to uh, developing a memoranda of understanding for longer term relationships, faculty exchanges, research collaborations, JVs between centers and research centers and institutes, all those kinds of things, just sort of thinking about this in the framework of a rubric. How do you size up a partner? How do you size up a partner that is a good fit for your school? And uh, we thought about it from the perspective of faculty. We thought about it from the perspective of students. And we thought about it in sort of reputationally. We thought about it on many dimensions. So white papers, sort of guiding, some guiding principles was the first step, as well as sizing up all the things that we were doing. Makes sense. And then, and then, of course, the next thing was, okay, given armed with these things, how can we, you know, what next steps should we take? So that was that was the that was the opening gambit. Yeah, sounds like you took a very consulting approach. Study what we have, study what's out there, and use that as a basis to fill in the gaps and learn how to leap over your competitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and go ahead, go ahead. Well, I uh, I wonder for a domestic student, let's say, and this is um, probably a contrarian question on some level. Why should an MBA even experience business on a global scale if, in fact, you're going to end up in the U.S. anyway. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And and the answer is, and not to make the answer sound too simplistic, but, but business is global. Business is global. And, and I think that's where all the nascent pressures that were coming to the leadership team at the Johnson School at the time came to the realization of is whether it was the advisory council members who are involved in businesses and consultancies all around the world, or the students who are advancing them their careers into industry recognized that that these businesses that they were aspiring to join are global in scope it was it was it was almost organic it was natural you know a, a domestic student a young young student whether she you know was attracted to Johnson having grown up and uh, you know had their formative experiences in Illinois or, or elsewhere, they, they knew that to advance their careers into the, these, these organizations that were global in their footprints, they needed to acquire a, sort of a, a, a toolkit, a skill set during their MBA experiences that would put them in that much of a better position. Right. So even if you're going to spend your career in any one country, it could be India, it could be the United States, the truth is you're going to be doing business globally because everything today is global. You're going to be working with uh, multicultural teams across borders with the, the difficulties that en that entails with language differences and, and different value systems. In many cases, let's face it, manufacturing is not going to be in the U.S. anyway. It's uh, increasingly and entirely in China. It's all global supply chains. Yeah. And from... As a finance guy, you, you see companies that are transcending boundaries to source capital, to fund their operations more so than ever before. So whether you're an investor relations officer at a company here that is purely domestic in its operations, you're going to be talking to prospective investors who are from outside. It, it just it, it runs the gamut of the experience of what any MBA, regardless of what career track they choose, they're going to have to have an appreciation or taste or an understanding for what it means to operate in a global setting. So we knew we had to pick up the game. We knew we had to pick up the game. And by the way, many schools at that time and even continue today, realize we need to keep pushing and advancing. We're not all there yet. And uh, it's, just, it's just organic. It's natural. We need to do this. Now, Andrew, how can leaders learn to communicate better across cultures, perspectives, and experiences? Well, that's the, that's the secret sauce, right? That's right. the secret sauce. And, and what, what do you do? And we're again, again, going back to the experience of what, what we had 10 years ago when I joined was what steps, what incremental next steps should we be doing? Well, we had these exchange programs. Those are pretty good. We had a bunch of an array of course offerings with respect to doing business in this region or that region, doing, you know, managing risks in emerging markets. My specialty happens to be emerging markets. I had, I had put on a course on uh, raising funds or, or, or doing, doing deals in emerging markets. Those are all great courses, great exchanges, great. What we needed to do was to to really, what we realized at the time is what we really needed to do was build out our co-curricular experiences so that we could harvest this knowledge and share it, especially among those that were most acutely interested. So under the auspices of a newly launched institute for the study of emerging markets, that was hap happens to be one of the big forward steps that we took at that time, and it's doing well even today, we created this module, not a module. It's more of a, what we call a fellows program. It's, it's referred to as the emerging market fellows program. And this was selective. 
it was selective among all MBA students that might be, what we wanted to do was suss out those that had most acute interest in pursuing careers that define with were defined with, by global experience. Right. And and what we wanted to do was make sure that we had a, a diverse group of individuals that came from different parts of the world, people who grew up here in this country, people who had come from other countries. So we wanted to ensure diversity of experiences among them in developing these co-curricular activities. And in this fellows program, the key was for us to put before them speakers put before them uh, special courses and seminars that represented deep dive learning into unique cultures, unique cultural experiences. And of course, the key was to ensure that these this sort of selected group of what we called emerging markets fellows definitely had to have actual on the ground experiences. And so, yes, we had some treks and they were scattered about in form. These treks that we devised which were targeting countries in different emerging markets around the world, were commonality experiences and very intense experiences, typically during spring breaks or at other times off, off the regular uh, curriculum experience. And, and they were shared, right? Shared among these most acutely interested, identified to be a, a diverse group. And it was, it was uh, we saw a significant advancement in their experiences and it certainly certainly in terms of longer term effects as well for these people these these fellows that then subsequently were graduating they were finding themselves better prepared for the those those uh those placements that they would take thereafter so that was that was what we we did now is this a unique sauce that we developed no other other top schools have developed similar kinds of things but this is what we did with this this uh, we often call them the Navy seals uh, in the MBA program <laughs> those that could take sort of the textbook learnings in MBA programs and apply it in the most uncomfortable and difficult kinds of environments out there in the world in these complex emerging markets and and uh, there was no substitute no substitute for on the ground and is this a second year offering or does it start in the first year? This is uh, this we launched about eight years ago, and so we've now we've now put out about eight cohorts of these emerging market fellows. They receive a certificate with their graduation, and they they I've come to learn that many of my distinguished graduates from the emerging market fellows program often find it it is a, a very important discussion point with prospective employers. Uh, they they like to talk about those experiences, and I think the employers find this a very validating. Uh, validating experience in terms of guiding their, their choices. Yeah, Andrew, what I meant is that do you you become a fellow in your second year of the MBA program or right oh, away? I'm sorry, John. Okay. I'm sorry. I, did, I misunderstood the question. Yeah. So what we would do is we would select them in the late fall of their first year, typically once they're crunching through their core courses uh, with intensity. And we basically invite them to apply at that time. And then they're selected and they're basically onboarded in the second semester of their first year. And then we start really intensifying the activities and projects and treks in the second. That's great. How many fellows do you typically select? Well, you wanted the honest truth. When we launched the program, we were thinking, you know, five or six. We have a, typically in the residential MBA program, another, about 270 and another 60 in our accelerated MBA program. We figured five or six would represent this sort of elite force that we were trying to, uh, to guide. <laughs> right. And we found that the applications were overwhelming. 
Wow. We just were overwhelmed and and uh, trying to try to limit this type of experience and yet deliver it in a quality way. We ultimately were uh, engaging about 20, 25 a year, and that's continued. Wow, that's that's a good uh, critical mass of people who can reinforce each other as well. That's right. And that, by the way, that's another great thing, John, about what this program did is that the, the graduates from the preceding years came back to be part of these speakers programs to talk about the importance of what they got during that program to share it with those that were perspectives and that were in process. So you saw this sort of uh, cross generations of these fellows, the, the reinforcement and the sort of the, the cycle being reinforced. And by the way, uh, you know, we have these programs in um, uh, the executive MBA programs as well uh, at Johnson, you know this, uh, as well as at Cornell Tech, which was launched subsequently. We've seen now um, some of the fellows actually being inculcated and involved in a little bit creative and different way, but now drawing from these other programs in their alternative offerings, Cornell Tech program, the Cornell Tech MBA program, as well as the uh, the executive MBA programs are being involved in the, uh, the fellows program, the emerging markets. Now, this is not the only thing that we do. It's it's an important thing that we do as part of the MBA program, and I think I think I'd like to think a lot of them the students um, uh, look to it as a sort of a a thing that attracts them and and uh, draws them in. But but there's of course the school doing lots of other things as well to reinforce all this. What I like about it is is clearly distinctive because it brings all of your activities together. Uh, with a specific group of students, you know, more typically schools approach globalism by saying, okay, here are a bunch of elective courses. Here are a number of voluntary trips or immersions that you can take. Uh, But there's not a set group that says, you know, this is important to me. I want to specialize in it on some level. uh, And I want to be with people who have similar interests so I can learn from them as well. That's right. And I want to signal to the marketplace, the labor marketplace afterwards, that I'm special in that I know how to handle these kinds of challenging places and ways of doing business uh, because I've gone through this program. And I think that's valuable. It's a valuable signaling tool uh, for them. Uh, and that, that's a message I keep reinforcing to the students is, yeah, you're going to do some extra stuff and it's going to be an investment of time and energy and effort, but there is a payoff. That's great. Because employers are looking for this kind of yep, experience. Totally. What what can B school students actually do to prepare for international business opportunities? So so obviously if you want to get a job ultimately that has exposure to different markets and different cultures, you get become a fellow, or at least apply and hope to become a fellow. Um, but are there other things that one can do to actually prepare? Yeah, there is. There is. So culture, multiculturalism is defined by culture. Culture is somewhat of a squishy topic that scholars have been really deep diving in from social anthropology all the way through, you know, people that specialize in the study of international business. And, uh, And they've tried to enumerate and qualify and quantify exactly what culture means. One of the things we know it means is language. Uh, so one of the things that I would encourage students that want to engage in or exploit um, the best possible preparation for international business opportunities is to explore a language, uh, a second, maybe a third language. This we know is an important ingredient for culture. It's not none of these are defining elements of culture, but we know it's an important ingredient of culture. 
Of course, many students come to MBA programs with already armed with a second language. So you push for a third. Um, uh, I, I know employers look for that. I know employers look for that in their backgrounds. Another thing is to take advantage of coursework to the extent that you it's possible in your business school curriculum within your university, but outside your school. I know that sounds crazy, right? But, but there, there, it turns out that your schools of government, your departments of political science, your, your uh, romance languages department, your, they, there are opportunities for you to be able to engage in study outside of uh, about, about cultures from outside of that, from where you came by taking those types of courses. And I know a lot of MBA programs allow for the possibility to exploit those types of things. I think that's a, that's a positive. And again, I actually think a number of employers actually look for that kind of diverse diversity of educational experience that they might be adding to their traditional MBA studies. Right. A third thing I would say is it's sort of consistent with everything we've been talking about, John, which is which is many, many programs take advantage of these deep dive experience experiences, whether it's a career trek, a study trek or an actual formal exchange programs. Those are those those sort of leave indelible marks on a lot of our students in terms of their ability to prepare and appreciate, appreciate different cultures and experiences. And when choosing those things, I would, when I'm sitting down with students who are choosing between A, B, and C, I would often be coaching and advising them to try to choose the experience with the exchange program or the track that is the most orthogonal to what they have had up to date. You know, if it's a young, young person that's coming from India, push themselves to experience something else through this, this, this program rather than going back uh, or experiencing Asia to push somewhere into uh, Central and Eastern Europe, perhaps. And uh, tr try to look for that orthogonal experience that forces you to diversi diversify yourself and experiences as an individual. So there's, there's three things on the menu. Yeah, that's great. And, and Andrew, clearly, you don't have to be a fellow to experience any of all. these things. Yeah, exactly. not at all. Not at all. And most, and most MBAs uh, do it with uh, not necessarily a specialization like the fellowship program you have, but rather in in little doses like taking an immersion trip, uh, uh, doing a consulting assignment, perhaps uh, involving an organization abroad, uh, doing a number of electives, or even getting a sense of uh, how different companies and different cultures work within the core courses that you're teaching. Exactly, exactly. And, we, and remember, as, as, as leaders of schools and colleges of business, um, deans like myself are in, trying to create incentives and encourage our faculty to make sure that our core curricula are reflecting more diverse experiences for our students, including globally uh, and culturally like this in terms of the settings for the case studies that we select and things along those lines. Um, when it comes to executive MBA programs, this is, again, nothing to do with our fellows program at Johnson, but, but uh, they choose a global consulting project as part of their, uh, uh, their lockstep executive MBA program. Uh, program. And, uh, and again, you want those group teams to try to find the most culturally, the most, the most challenging type of 
setting for their consultancy project that uh, relative to what they have have in their background already to push themselves, to diversify themselves. You don't need a fellows program to do it. It's nice to have the organizing principles through a fellows program, but students can do that. And what I would say to any of the students that are listening out there to this podcast, uh, John, is, is do not be shy about sharing those experiences or backgrounds with your prospective employers as you sit down and interview across the table from them because because they're often looking for those types of things as a sign of ability uh, and strength of ability uh, uh, for for their long-run career trajectory. Right. Now, Andrew, in recent years, we've seen uh, almost a step back on globalization. And I'm thinking primarily of Brexit, and I'm thinking primarily of the trade wars that have uh, begun in the United States with uh, China and some of our other uh, partners in the world. Is this, to your mind, a temporary thing, or are we going to see actually globalization take more steps back? It's a great question. I, if you're asking me to predict the way in which the uh, whether we're going to have a hard versus you know, no deal Brexit in October, I'm not going to answer that question. But I can tell you this. Um, globalization has uh, has been a secular trend for the past 40, 50 years, perhaps longer. And there's no looking back. What we are seeing even over the last 40, 50 years is an ebb and flow. We're just seeing a bit of an ebb here in in uh, in the, uh, the the long run secular trend and to me and 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 I'm I'm sorry I'm going to bring this back to MBA education but for me it's the challenge of the uncertainty of the political economic environment like what you're describing that makes these questions that we're asking and answering so much more important as much as there is this long-run secular trend and you know business is global and everybody should be doing it, what we really want to do is equip our MBA students to be best prepared to deal with the volatility and the uncertainty associated with these this sort of the changing landscape of globalization, whether it's you know the challenges of international trade and prospects between the United States and China to uh, challenging challenging issues to do with immigration waves to uh, dealing with global geopolitical uncertainty in different parts of the world because of you know international security agreements breaking down or not all of those things foster this uncertainty and it's the students and I know businesses think like this too it's the students that are agile and adaptable to an uncertainty and volatile world like that that those are the ones that really uh, can put themselves into the pole position with respect to uh, taking their businesses and whatever businesses they join forward. Yep. Andrew, the genie is out of the bottle and you can't put the genie back in. Right on. Right on. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. Andrew Caroli, Deputy Dean of the Johnson College of Business at Cornell University. Thank you very much for an intriguing discussion. Thank you, John. That was fun and all the best. Thank you. And this is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Thanks for listening to our series on the deep dive in Cornell University's Johnson Graduate School of Management. We have a number of these, so look out for them. We're looking at every single aspect of Cornell's MBA program. Uh, in fact, 
multiple programs, as you already know if you've been listening to the series. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.